What an honor it is to be standing here tonight. An honor and a responsibility that I don't take lightly to preach here at Southwest Baptist Church. Uh, we're so blessed to have been here for the last 20 years. And uh, I believe that God has used Heartland Baptist Bible College and the Southwest Baptist Church and the people here to equip us for the ministry. Um, we are the Great Commission. Now, we didn't get saved here necessarily, but the college and the church has helped us to go, go out and do the same thing. We're going to go do the same thing there that we're doing here. And we're excited about what God has already done and what he's going to do. Now, I'll give a little bit more of an update as to what is going on and what God has done later on in the message. If you'll turn to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter one. And uh, you actually may be seated. Uh, we'll get there in a minute. My apologies. We'll be there in just a minute. Um, and uh, this message the Lord has put on my heart. Um, almost when Brother Gaddis asked me to preach um, before then, but even when God has just confirmed that this is what he wanted me to preach. I didn't want to preach it. I wanted to preach one I've been preaching before. But uh, that's not what the Lord wanted. And uh, this message in many ways is part two of our 2024 theme that Brother Gaddis preached a few weeks ago. It's also part two of Brother Gaddis's message last Sunday night. If you remember, stand in awe of him or sit down if you have to, humbled by his greatness. And then it's also part two of Brother Ted's message on Wednesday night, uh, remembering his blessings. So I hope you can remember all three of those messages. Um, do you? And some of you might say, I can't even remember what happened this morning. Um, but that's what I want to talk about. Uh, during our recent youth worker recharge that we had, um, Brother Copeland gave us a quote, and it made an impression on me, and this is what it says. It says, people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. Now, there's a part of what you say. There's a percentage that they've done studies as to how much you'll remember a percentage of what people say. The percentage is higher if they remember what you did. But let's be honest, in all the messages that we heard, how many do you remember? And all that somebody's did in your life, maybe your father or a, or a pastor or preacher in your life, how, many, how, how, how much do you remember of what they did? The point is, is that you rarely ever forget how somebody made you feel. So has someone, something or an event ever left an impression on you? Have you ever had something leave an impression on you? Because impressions are rarely ever forgotten. Um, oppressions, impressions affect our memory. Uh, they affect them in a way that we don't forget them. Otherwise, let's be honest, we're a forgetful people, aren't we? Um, just this week, thinking about this, I've been talking to people and in conversation, somebody, somebody will ask, what was that guy's name? And you ever had that happen where you just pause and you stare and there's just nothing up there? It's like blank space. What year did that happen? Um, I, 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 
There's nothing, like nothing going on up there. And it's just you forget. And I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. And uh, there was a study done at Stanford on the brain. And I have a little excerpt here I want to read for you. Researchers said this, the findings suggest that despite the brain's astonishing ability to archive a lifetime of memories, one of its prime functions is to forget. Our sensory organs continually deluge us with information. This would be our eyes, ears, touch, smells, feelings, things we see, the colors, um, the ears, things that we hear, you know, people coughing, sirens, the music, songs we hear, just different, different tones, um, the things we touch, textures, the smells, uh, the feelings, all those things we have. This research says that we couldn't get through the day um, or through life if our brain didn't repress much of it. So they determined that um, due to the, the, the brain that God has designed is so astonishing, but one of its prime functions is to forget. I hope that made your day tonight. Yeah. You know, is that helpful? The brain is geared to forget, but that creates a problem, doesn't it? And I love what Brother uh, Ted brought out, which coincides, which just confirmed that this is what the Lord wanted me to preach is he brought out a, a, a point that um, forgetfulness is linked to disobedience in the Bible. And I'm going to show you that. And that remembering is linked to obedience. And so our brain is wired to forget, but that creates a big problem because is memory important? I mean, that's how we learn. I mean, if you're a child and you're taught a concept, that's how you, you, you learn is you remember it and then you do it over again. And, you, and, and then when you go to do it, that, that act or that function, that concept, you recall what you've remembered. And even for adults, maybe you're starting a new job or learning a language, whatever it is, our memory is very important. It's important to teaching. It's important how we can remember and recall things. But if our brain is wired to forget, that's a huge problem, especially when there's important things that we need to remember, right? So the things we forget far outweigh the things we remember. So we should remember not to forget the things that are important. You might say, oh my, I'm in trouble. I don't know that I'm going to remember what you just said. Well, I hope to make an impression on you tonight. You do remember what I said about impressions, that the impressions are rarely forgotten. Oh, my. Well, it's worse than I thought. Uh, turn to Joshua, and you don't have to stand because we're going to uh, walk through the passage here. Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. And uh, I want to look at what the Lord did here. To help the children of Israel remember, to help them remember. And he did it for a specific reason. And I want to show you that reason. Joshua chapter one. Look at the first few verses here. It says, now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, Unto the land which I, sh I do give them, to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place 
that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. And so there, as you probably know, there's a transition in leadership here. Um, Joshua is taken over from Moses. And um, if you look down through uh, verse five, there's the same mission, right, to carry, continue to move forward with God's plan. Because did God have a plan here for the children of Israel? He did with Moses. It doesn't change with Joshua. They were to move forward with God's plan. Joshua, Moses died. Joshua was the next leader. And the similar or same promises continued. If you look in verse 5, uh, you know, there shall not any man be able to stand before thee. The last part of the verse, I'll be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Be strong and of good courage. I'll make thy way prosperous. Uh, things like that. Some of the same promises that God gave Moses, now he has given Joshua. Okay, so they're going forward with the promises or the plan of God. Now look in verse ch chapter 2, chapter 2 um, of Joshua. Joshua sends out spies. He sends out spies to spy out the land because the next step in their plan to possess the land, who knows what the city was? Jericho. I'm sorry if I ask questions, but I've been preaching to sixth graders for the last 10 years. So um, the next city or the, 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 the next city they were going to take to possess was the city of Jericho. But something stood in their way. If you'll turn over to chapter three, chapter three, look in verse one. Joshua rose up early in the morning and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan. He and all the children of Israel lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host and they commanded the people saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord, your God and the priests, the Levites bearing it, then shall you move from your place and go after it. So in Joshua chapter three, they came upon the river Jordan. Look in verse 13. And it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon and heap. Okay, look in verse 16. And the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon and heap very far from the city Adam, that is beside Zaratan, and those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea failed and were cut off, and the people passed over right against Jericho. Look at the last verse said, and the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan and all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. God had a plan for the children of Israel. Same with Moses to move forward and possess the land that I've promised you. Here they are moving forward and they come against this obstacle, the Jordan River, and God being faithful like he is shows up and he works a miracle. He parted the Jordan River and here they have a transition of leadership. They're moving forward. They hit an obstacle and God shows up. God works. Now look what he does in chapter four and this will be our text. Chapter four, verse one. And it came to pass when all the people were clean passed over Jordan that the Lord spake unto Joshua saying, take you 12 men out of the people, out of every tribe a man, 
And command ye them, saying, Take ye hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, twelve stones, and ye shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the lodging place where ye shall lodge this night. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had prepared out of the children of Israel, out of every tribe a man. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of Jordan, and take ye up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder, according unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you, that when your children ask your fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? Ye shall answer them. That the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. And if you look in verse 8, it says, And the children of Israel did so as Joshua commanded. So I've chosen the 12 tribes of Southwest Baptist Church here. And um, I was going to choose all teenagers, Brother Seth, and then I thought about it. And so then I had to, had to hire a supervisor here that, uh, so that we didn't have a safety risk. Look in verse 19. And the people came up out of Jordan on the 10th day of the first month and encamped in Gilgal in the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of Jordan did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. And he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? Then ye shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until you were passed over. Hey, as the Lord God your did to the Red Sea, he said, Throw that in there too. Another miracle that God did which he dried up from before us until we were gone over. And here's the what. Look at verse 24. That all the people of the earth, number one, might know Amen. there's a God. That's right. That the hand, they might know the hand of the Lord. They might know that it is mighty and that ye might fear the Lord your God Forever. Now, if you look in back chapter seven or verse seven, he said a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. It almost looked internal just to the children of Israel, but it went from teaching their own people to all the earth may know. It almost went evangelistic that he wants not just the children of Israel, but everyone who walks by these stones that they would know that there's a God and that he's powerful and that you should fear him. He wanted all, everyone to know it, not just a select few. God told Joshua to do this and they did. But this wasn't just a Jordan River thing. This wasn't just a Joshua thing. And this wasn't a new thing to teach them, to help them remember, to be a memorial Turn back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Verse 
Deuteronomy chapter four. Now the first three chapters and brother Ted covered this. I was like, whoa, where are you going? Don't, don't preach my message. Uh, he, he was in Deuteronomy and I'll show you a little bit of that too, but in chapter eight where he was, but, uh, the first three chapters of Deuteronomy or Moses are more historical in nature. They're Moses going over what has happened and what the children of Israel did and how good God was. And then look in chapter four, he gets down to business. Look in Deuteronomy chapter four. Read verse 1 there, Deuteronomy 4, 1. It says, Now, therefore, hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you for to do them, that ye may live and go in, in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. Now, what are we doing in Joshua? We're doing that. So we're reading now what we're actually reading in Joshua. Okay, God's plan. Now, he said, I'm going to teach you. Now, that's verse 1. Keep reading verse 2. And you shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did because of Bel Peor. For all the men that followed Bel Peor, the Lord thy God hath destroyed them from among you. But ye did cleave unto the Lord your God. Ye that did cleave unto the Lord your God are alive, every one of you this day. Look in verse five, but behold, I have taught you the statutes and judgments, even as the Lord, my God commanded that you should do so in the land, whether you go to possess it, keep therefore and do them for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations. Watch this, which shall hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people because of the people. No, keep reading. For what nation is there so great who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for? And what nation is there so great and has statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day? That's awesome. He's asking a question or two there. But look in verse 9. This is the, mess, the, the, the part where the Gaddis preached um, on the theme. Only take heed to thyself. Beware, it says in other places. Take heed to thyself. Keep thy soul diligently, lest thou what? Lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach them. Teach them thy sons. In thy son's sons. Did you see where it says, lest thou forget and it depart from your heart? There's that connection between forgetting and disobedience. He's, listen, what you're going to see here is God is concerned about us forgetting. He's, for, he's concerned about our memory. He says, lest thou forget, teach them. Now look what he says in verse 10. Especially the day that thou stoodest before the Lord thy God in Horeb, when the Lord said unto me, gather me the people together and I will make them hear my words that they may learn to fear me. Now you're going to see this happen over and over again because that's what was in Joshua. Did you know what God wanted to have them learn by this memorial? That the hand of the Lord is mighty and that they might what? Fear him. He says to learn to fear me all the days that they live upon the earth that they may teach their children. And he came near and stood under the mountain and the mountain burned with fire. 
to the midst of heaven with darkness, clouds, and thick darkness. You know what he was talking about here? Look in verse 13. It was the Ten Commandments. And he declared unto you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, even the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them upon two tables of what? Yep. He documented it. He wrote it in stone so that they would remember it or help them to remember. Look in verse 14. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might do them in the land whither ye go over to possess it, which is where we are in Joshua in our text. That's Deuteronomy chapter 4. Do you see a recurring theme here? Okay, one of you do. Turn to chapter 5. Turn to chapter 5 of Deuteronomy. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 1. And Moses called all Israel and said unto them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your ears this day, that ye may learn them and keep them and do them. Now, if he's gathered them together and he's speaking and he wants them to learn it, what is he doing? He's teaching them. He's teaching him, and what is he teaching? Over and over again. He just, he's already told them the Ten Commandments, but do we forget them sometimes? Look what he's teaching there down in verse 9. Not bow down thyself to other images. Look in verse 11. Take the name of the Lord in vain. Verse 17, thou shalt not kill. He's reiterating to help them remember. But look at the conclusion of his teaching in verse 29. Oh, that there were such a heart in them that they would what? Fear me and keep all my commandments all way that it might be well with them and with their children forever. And what you're going to see in God's word and in our text tonight is that God cares about the next generation. Amen. Have you seen that? If you, you've already seen it in our text. When they ask you what mean these, by your, uh, these stones, he's talking about asking the children, asking their fathers for generations to come. God's concerned about the next generation. Look what he keeps, he, it keeps getting better. Look at verse 30. Go say to them, get you into your tents again. But as for thee, stand thou here by me and I will speak unto thee all the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which thou shalt teach them that they may do them in the land which I give them to possess it. Turn to chapter six. Are you seeing the theme? Oh, there's like 10 there. All right, now, there's more. Look in chapter 6. Chapter 6. <clears throat> this is, Brother Ted mentioned this passage a little bit. Chapter 6, verse 1. Now, these are the commandments and the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that ye might do them in the land where ye go to possess it. This is where we're at in Joshua. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his commandments, his statutes and his commandments which I command thee thou and thy son. Here it is. And thy son's sons all the days of thy life that thy days may be prolonged. Skip down to verse four. Here's the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord with all thy God, with all thy God, with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Watch it. And thou shalt teach them diligently, mind you, unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. 
Watch this documentation. Thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand. Thou shalt be as frontlets between thine eyes. Thou shalt write them. You see that? Thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things. Skip down to verse 12. Then beware, lest thou what? Forget the Lord. Lest thou forget the Lord. Skip down to verse 20. This might sound familiar because it wasn't new with Joshua. And when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, what mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Then thou shalt say unto thy son, let me tell you about it. Look what he says. We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. There's that hand he was talking about. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and sore. Listen, he's teaching the children. He's teaching the next generation. He brought us out of Egypt unto Pharaoh and upon his hall of his household before our eyes. And he brought us up out from thence that he might bring us in to give us the land which he swore unto our fathers. And the Lord commanded us, watch this, to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that it might preserve us alive as it is at this day. And it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he hath commanded us. Wow. Now do you see the theme? It's not new with Joshua, was it? <clears throat> what God told Joshua to do wasn't new. L let me go one step further. Let me go one testament further. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Listen, I think the mandate to teach them is pretty clear, don't you? But I also showed you that we're prone to forget. And God is concerned about our memory and forgetting. I forgot to show you Brother Ted's message. Look in chapter 8, verse 11. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God and keeping his commandments. Look down in verse 14, then thy heart be lifted up and thou forget the Lord thy God. Verse 18, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God. Verse 19, and it shall be that if thou do it all, forget the Lord thy God. God is concerned about us forgetting. Hopefully you've seen that. But we also saw that when God worked, when God shows up and he provides for the children of Israel with this miracle, and parting of the Jordan River, God used stones as a memorial to help document what he did and to help remember what he did in order to teach them. 
Did you see that? God has been at work so much in the last two months in our lives. Whew. But the Gaddis preached, stand in awe of him or sit down if you have to. And that's how it's been in our lives the last few months. And I've told people, I said, it's made me question where God was the last years of my life. And you say, that didn't sound right. That's right, because it wasn't God. It might have been me. Because now I've stepped out on faith. I need God. You see, I needed him. him. Yeah, but it's different now. And God has showed up over and over again to where when something happens, you just have to look up to heaven. And sometimes I think people just think I have a problem because something happens. And I'm going to tell you a couple where I just stand up and I it's just God. When the church voted to call me and I accepted their call and that became apparent, I was overwhelmed I'm cursed with the ability to extrapolate things really quickly. And I went, oh my, I'm in trouble. I got it. There's so much to do. There's so much money needed that I don't have. There's so much work. I can't do this. this it's going to be half a year or more before I can get there. I remember praying with Brother Gaddis and saying, it's not our job. He can do it. There were five major things, and I told you I'd give you an update, and so here's part of it. There were five major things that needed to happen and still need to happen for us to get to Idabel. <clears throat> and um, one was sell our house. We have to sell our house. Um, we have to repair our house before we sell it. Um, and there it takes a lot of money. And then um, acquire a house there. Um, I'm going to be bivocational, so I need support. And then I need a job. And so God has provided for all of those except for one. This time after time after time. I don't have time to tell you all the awesome things that God has done, but I want to tell you of a couple. Um, a lady in this church called and wanted to help us with the repairs to our house. We have a, a realtor that God has put in our house. Again, there's so many stories that I, I have collected and documented that I, I just don't have time to tell you, but I'd love to later. But a lady put in our, our lives that is just a very successful, wonderful realtor, and he, she's helping us so much. I need to sell our house so that if you want to pray for something, pray for that. Because um, they say, oh, it's a bad time to sell. Sorry. I mean, it's not. The Lord will work that out. I'm not worried about that. The Lord worked out a house for us there. It was on the market and it just wouldn't sell. And I just look up to heaven. So they decided to rent it. Well, they had some renters. Well, they fell through. I look up to heaven and then they called us and we didn't have the money for it because I have two house payments now. Who would like two house payments? And the one there is more than this one. So it's like 150 times more percent. And so um, I couldn't afford it. And so uh, God provided it. You look up to heaven. I need support. I haven't got any monthly support yet in hand, but we have commitments and we have dates that God is working out. I think maybe three, four, maybe five dates to go and present. And, and I have faith that that'll work out. Pray for that. 
and then a job. I need a job there. So God gave me a job. And I want to tell you about that real quick because it was awesome. I applied for 20 or 30 jobs, you know, when you need a job. And I was looking for the right job, though. You know what I mean? When you're pastoring a church, I don't just want to work at McDonald's, not anything against McDonald's. I just, you need the right job. And so I prayed that God would give the right job. And um, I asked Brother Blake Norris, I said, could you just pray about that and help me? And, um, and so next thing I know, I'm getting a call. Uh, I got a contact from someone is with Walmart, the asset protection uh, program and uh, the manager there. And so I couldn't get down there until December 10th was the next time we were planning to go down there. But if the Lord was going to give me this job, I didn't want to wait. And so I went down there on a day. I took a vacation day. I went down there. I walked into the store. This lady doesn't know me from Adam. I don't know her from Eve. She said, come on back. You know, I walked in there. I'm just, I felt like the Lord was just, has been directing me lately. You ever feel like that? Where God just says, go here and I go there. Go here, I go over here, sit here, do this, collect that. Okay. And so I'm going in there and um, they said, sit right here. I walk in, there's an HR representative. And so I sit down there and she's like, and I, when I was driving down there, I kept, my phone was blowing up with Walmart notifications. Like, um, You've been, uh, you're a candidate for this thing. You're, you've been selected. You have a job offer. I'm like, what? And you know what? They were pushing me through the system, wow. which would normally take a while. You know how it is when you get a job. And so I get down there and she says, okay, you should have received a job offer from me. If you'll just open that up and fill that out. So I pulled this up. She was writing some paper. She was on the phone with the drug testing place. And she said, can you test him at two? And it was like 11. And I had a four hour drive back. I said, Ooh, that really that wouldn't work. Well, I had something planned. She said, okay, can you do it now? You can do it now. Send him over. So she hangs up the phone and she hands up a paper and she stands up. She goes, all right, you're ready to go. And I, I literally three minutes. I, I just hit accept on the job offer and I, I stood up with them I, and I was like, okay. And she said, um, all right, you so they were sort of shooing me off because I had to go to the, the testing place. And, uh, and I said, now, um, I, I didn't know, I don't remember what exactly I said. I tried to be tactful, but I was like, so do I have the job? And they sort of giggled. They were giggling. It was to a lady representative and a lady manager. And they were sort of giggling. They're like, like almost like you had the job like a week ago when we started talking. I'm like, okay. Um, I said, okay, I'm a manager. I've done thousands of interviews. I've been interviewed a time or two. Are you going to ask me any questions? And uh, <laughs> the HR representatives, they were giggling. They were like, <laughs> um, Manager, do you have any questions? She's like, no. Do you have any questions? She turned to the HR lady and she said, I don't have any. They looked at me and they said, do you have any questions? <laughs> I like, um, what did Blake say? <laughs> and and uh, they're like, who's Blake? And they didn't know who, who he was. And so I said, well, well, maybe he called your manager. I'm like, oh, well, that might have been it. He told us to hire you. And I'm like, 
All right, I guess I'll go. I went and did my test and I have the job. Isn't that crazy? I mean, and it's, the, it's just the right job. And they, I said, well, what are the hours? Because aren't the hours important for a bivocational pastor? Just make your, make your own hours. But you need to change them up. And I'm like, you know, it's standing in awe of him. And sit down if you have to. You look up to heaven and go, man, Lord, you're so good. You provide. But what a shame. Hold on now. What a shame it would be to move on. You go, it would be a shame to move on. What a shame it would be to move on with the Great Commission. God's plan in our lives is to go forward with the Great Commission. And what a shame it would be for me to move on and forget what God has done in our lives. I said it would be a shame. God has done amazing things, not only in my life, but you could look at Southwest Baptist Church, but not only with Brother Sam, but from the beginning, the pastors before him, and now with Brother Gaddis. God could, has done amazing things, I'm sure, in Choctaw Baptist Church. But when Brother Sam came and when the Brother Gaddis came to this church and now when I'm going to a church, what God has done over and over again, am I aware of that? No. Not unless someone, A, has documented it or B, has taught us. Or it may be if something was there physical that showed me or maybe sparked a question in me to ask and say, what mean ye by this? What did God do here? And then he gave the opportunity to say, well, let me tell you what God did. Because has God done some wonderful things here? And no doubt at Choctaw Baptist Church, listen, people have walked this aisle and accepted Jesus Christ. People have been healed from addictions. I mean, you, you talk about the, the testimonies we did on Wednesday night where there were people praising God. The message was remember his blessings. Brother Gaddis preached, humbled by his greatness. Look at all God's done. God has fixed plumbing issues the other night. Car wrecks. People have been delivered and given a second chance. But you don't know all that God's done here if you're new. Do you? Not unless somebody took the time to maybe document it and then teach you. See, God said, you hit an obstacle, but I'll show up for you. And God parted the waters. He showed them once again, as if he hasn't already. He showed them, I'm there for you. Watch my power and my provision. And God said, I don't want you to forget this. I want you to go get some stones and stack them up. I want it to be something physical in nature so that you almost have to walk around it so that you can see it with your eyeballs. Something that would be physical in nature that would spark a question because when you look at that, you go, that didn't happen normally. Something happened here. And it did. God showed up. 
God said, I want to document this. I want to be something that would document what God did and how he showed up and how he spoke. God said, I want you to make this for a memorial. Do you hear that? Memorial, memory. He didn't want them to forget it. Why? Because he wanted them to teach them. So they wouldn't forget. God told Joshua, I want to take this opportunity to teach them. So I want to ask you tonight, by way of application, two questions with a few more in between. Are you taking opportunities to teach them? And then are you making opportunities to teach them? Are you taking opportunities to teach them? Turn to Deuteronomy 34. So we were in Joshua chapter one when we started. Deuteronomy 34 is just the previous chapter. Deuteronomy 34. Are you taking opportunities to teach them? Many of you know this, but I want to show you. Look in Deuteronomy 34, verse 1. Moses went up from the plains of Moab into the mountain of Nebo to the top of Pisgah. This is over against Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead and to Dan. Skip down to verse 4. And the Lord said unto him, This is the land which I swear unto Abraham and Isaac and unto Jacob, saying, I will give it unto thy seed. I have caused thee to see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt not go over thither. You say, that's mean. Well... Do you know what Moses did? Turn to Numbers 20. Numbers 20. <clears throat> Moses had an opportunity. And I want to show you that. Numbers chapter 20. Verse 1, the children of, then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, into the desert of Zin in the first month. And the people in, abode in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. And there was no water for the congregation. That's happened before. They were bitter before. But look what they did. They, or, they, they gathered themselves together against Moses and Aaron. And the people chode with him. This is like an organized protest here. They gathered themselves together and they're choding, chiding, they're scolding, they're rebuking Moses and Aaron. And look at what they said. Would God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord? Why have you brought us up the congregation of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our cattle should die there? And wherefore have you made us to come up out of Egypt? Really? You would rather have, be in bondage than this? Really? You've brought us up out of Egypt to bring us into this evil place. It is no place of seed or of figs or vines of pomegranates. Neither is there any water to drink. Moses and Aaron did what they should have done. They didn't tweet it or put it on Facebook. They go before the Lord. Look what they said. They went from the presence of the assembly under the door of the tabernacle and the congregation. They fell upon their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. They took it to God and God tells them, here's what I want you to do. Very clearly, and I'm going to show you. Look in verse 7. Lord spake unto Moses, saying, here's what I want you to do. Very clear. Take the rod. Gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes. And it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, so shalt thou give the congregation and their beast to drink. Are you seeing this? They had an issue. They needed water. Okay. 
Moses took it to God. God said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to gather the children of Israel together. I don't know how many there were. There were a lot. Okay. And he said, I want you to gather them together. And before their eyes, I want the rock to be before their eyes. I picture it. I don't know how it was, but I picture you being the children of Israel, me being Moses and the rock being up here somewhere. I don't know. But it was, but he specifically said, gather them before their eyes. And he did that. He gathered it before their eyes. And look what he, look what he does in verse 9. He, Moses took the rod from before the Lord and he commanded them. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, like God said. And he said unto them, so he's got the children of Israel there. Their eyeballs were on him. He had an opportunity. And look what he does. Here now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice, and the water came out abundantly. The congregation drank, and their beasts also. That's not what God wanted him to do. God said, I want you to speak to the rock. Now, it doesn't necessarily say what he wanted him to say, but I think he would say, listen, children of Israel, you bunch of complainers and have a time there because he was their leader, right? Is he obligated to help them remember? I mean, after all, had God already showed up in their lives? Oh, come on. The waters were bitter. He made them sweet. He gave them quail. He gave them graham crackers from heaven. You know the manna? <laughs> he parted the Red Sea. I mean, they're about to be wiped out by the Egyptian army. He parted the Red Sea and saved them right out of the chute. That's right. Delivered them out of Egyptian bondage. And if that's not enough, he made a bunch of almonds come out of their rods. Yep. And here they are with the water. And he had provided water out of a rock even before. That's right. Right. And here they are again with another issue that's not too big for God. And they're complaining. And I would think that's what Moses would be preaching and speaking. And as he was speaking and glorifying God, water would just flow out of the rock. And when they saw that, who did they think the water came from? God. But Moses got up there and he blew a gasket. Here now, you bunch of rebels. Now, was he right? <laughs> he was right, but it wasn't the right time. And that's not what God said. And he took his, his rod and he beat it twice. And when he beat it, the water came out. Now, listen, with a bunch of eyeballs standing there looking at him in this opportunity and with his actions, who did they think water came from? Not God. Moses had an opportunity to sanctify God in the eyes of the people, to set him apart, to glorify his name. And he missed it. Look what happened in verse 12. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, it says, because you believe me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this congregation in the land which I given them. You know why? Because he missed the opportunity. To teach them. Are you taking opportunities 
to teach them. Who's them? That's like the rich young ruler. Who's my neighbor? Everyone. God's not a selective God. He wanted all to know. And you're obligated in our great commission is to teach them. Everybody. Now, God does care about the next generations. And shouldn't we? Absolutely. But the children aren't the only ones that we need to be teaching. The central idea of Joshua in chapter 4 back in our text was for the transition of leadership, but the same mission to go forward with God's plan. And it's no different in Matthew 28. Now we have the birth of Jesus in the Great Commission, but it's still to perpetuate the teaching of this book, is it not? It's to perpetuate faith in God and trust in God and belief in God, is it not? Then what is your part in teaching them? What are you doing to teach them? Now, I'm not talking about everybody in here has to be a teacher or preacher. You know that. Team it takes a lot of support roles to do the work of the Great Commission. Nursery, cleaning, you know, you know of all. I'm not, I'm not insinuating <clears throat> that everybody has to teach. I'm asking you, what is your part in the body? What are, you, are you taking opportunity to teach them? What are you doing to evangelize, to reach, to disciple the third part of the commission, which gets less and less as you go down, it's not complete, Brother Gaddis said, until you fulfill the discipleship program. What are we doing to perpetuate the great commission and move forward with the plan of God? Are you taking opportunities? Are you taking opportunities to teach at church? Are you taking opportunities to teach at home? Are you taking opportunities to teach here at Southwest Baptist Church to not have a part of moving forward with the pro progress, forward progress of the Great Commission and teaching them is unacceptable? To come in here and sit in a pew and be a spiritual consumer and not contribute to the cause of Christ is unacceptable. Are you taking the opportunities to teach at church? And then are you taking opportunities to teach at home? And boy, I'm passionate about this one. Because isn't it our home where discipleship begins? The Gaddis mentioned that in the message. Discipleship begins in our home. And I, I, I'm afraid here that we have a problem with churches being weak spiritually because our homes are weak. Are you teaching in the home, Father? Are you teaching in the home, Mother? And grandparents, guardians, whoever you are, if you have children, and, and it doesn't matter if it's children or other people, are you teaching them in the home? I'm going to ask you, what does it look like at your house? Taking the opportunity to teach them, what does it look like in your home? Are you taking the opportunities to document when God works, when God shows up so that you can teach them and they say, what did God did here? Well, let me tell you. And you take that opportunity. What are you teaching? Are you teaching convictions and standards and morals? I'm afraid the problem could stem from that some of us don't have anything to teach. It's why people aren't being taught. It's why the Great Commission is not moving forward like it should is because the family, the home, the father, the husband don't have anything to teach. Right. 
Because in their own life, if there's stagnation, it's stagnant, it's not thriving, it's not growing. I teach in the sixth grade, and I want to ask if a sixth grader, see if they remember, Brother Gaddis. How do you know if you've grown spiritually? Say it louder. Sixth graders, don't embarrass me. Who said that? That's an ex-sixth grader. And over here, current sixth grader, they're getting it. You know what I teach? Just a little thing to help them remember. How do you know if you've grown spiritually lately? What's if you started or stopped something? Because who are we really? Oh, come on. Who are we really? Sinners. So it could be that when God speaks to you, he might have you stop something for him. Have you stopped anything for him lately? I'm just asking. It might be that he might have you start something new in your life. That's a possibility. When's the last time, if I had you write it down on a card, that you've started something or stopped something for God because you heard from him and you applied it to your life? That's PSD. And it's not a pill. It's personal spiritual development. And I think we need more of it. And it needs to be taught in the home. What are you teaching? Do you have something to teach? Are you teaching in the home? Number two, I said, are you taking opportunities to teach them? Are you making opportunities to teach them? God had them document what he had done with these stones so that it would give an opportunity in years to come, in generations to come, to teach others about God. You might say, Brother Brian, hold on now. Are you insinuating that we should go acquire a bunch of stones and stack them up every time God does something? No. I mean, they did, but that's all they had, probably. And I had often thought about having like a wall of stones and maybe writing on it when God did something, but I'm not insinuating that. I don't feel the liberty to mandate that from the text. But I think we should consider the mandate to teach them. I think that's clear. And I think that I've shown you that we have a problem with remembering and that God did this for a memorial and God is concerned about us forgetting. And what better way to teach than with an object? If you like object lessons, say amen. Amen. It's an object lesson God used. That's an object. When you look at that, does it make you remember anything? Isn't that cool? When you look, I was looking around before preacher said, see what I could see here. And that flag over there, that's an object. When you look at that, does it spark your memory? Does it make you think something? Does it make you feel something? Did Jesus ever use objects in the New Testament? See, we're in the Old Testament. But did Jesus, he was the great teacher. Did he ever use object lessons? Absolutely. It's not just an Old Testament thing. And listen, here's the problem I have. And I hope this comes across right. But you can walk into a home today and you see stuff all over the place. And I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just trying to prove a point here that we do this 
but not spiritually. You can walk into a house and you'll see pictures all over the place. You'll see collages all over the place. You'll see souvenirs and you'll see deer heads and you'll see guns on a mantle. You may see a baseball bat or a baseball memorabilia or a golf club. And when people walk into your house, they go, oh, what's that? Where'd you go on that vacation? And what year was that? And you go, oh, let me tell you about that. That's the time when we went to Disney World and dropped 13 grand. Yeah, don't go there. <laughs> you might look at the deer head and go, when'd you shoot that monster? And you know what a guy would do? Let me tell you about it. And it could be anything. We document everything nowadays. Don't we, though? Oh, yeah. oh come on. We document when we arrive at the gym, when we're in line at Starbucks, not me, but y'all, I mean, I don't go to Starbucks, but when we get a haircut, when we get our driver's license, when it's a birthday party, we have a huge celebration on birthdays. I mean, who likes birthdays? Yeah. And that's cool. But, and we document it and things like that, but what's more important, the birthday or the spiritual birthday? Now, you can't have one without the other, but. And, 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 you know, and I'm not, I think it's wonderful that we have things like the new members reception. Well, we celebrate that with food and that's right. But somebody gets saved by the glory of God. I mean, a miracles happen. Somebody gets right with God and we go, mm. amen. And we move right on. Why don't we document and celebrate that? Social media has capitalized on this. Things like Facebook and others, they document so much and then they throw it back. They have a flashback and what will happen and it, it will pull up. Hold on. It'll pull up and throw back these memories. And these memories that we see affect us, don't they? We see a memory and it affects us. We, we, we laugh. We see a memory and we'll cry. We see a memory and we'll get mad. It may create pain because impressions and memories aren't one-sided. Sometimes it can be bad. But the memories affect us even we get goosebumps. But listen, why aren't we as disciples of Christ who hear from God, who see God work, why aren't we stacking some stones up figuratively? Why aren't we seizing the opportunities to teach them what God's doing in our lives? Are you making opportunities? Are you being creative? Listen, they only had stones. We have a lot more. When I had a fishing boat, I would take people fishing and I'd target them. I had a guy that I witnessed to. I'm going to have to get more water. I had a guy that I witnessed to that would weasel out of me at work and wouldn't listen to me. So he loved fishing. So I took him fishing, getting way back out on the lake and I'd start in on him. You know what that is? It's making an opportunity and taking an opportunity. And I've heard people that do that with airplanes, assigned seating, an opportunity. Are you taking the opportunities? Are you making opportunities? God will put people in your path. One time we broke down, it's back when I owned a Chevy. And uh, it was bad. And um, 
We broke down north of Frontier City on the turnpike. And this guy showed up in a wrecker. I kid you not, it looked like Tomater. He backed in sideways and he got out and he got this stick and he ran around and he stuck it in his fuel tank and measured to see how much fuel he had. And he didn't have enough, so he had to pull over on level ground. I'm like, oh Lord, this is going to be a trip. And it was. From there to Yukon, it took us three hours. I think I got home at like midnight. You wouldn't believe it if I told you. We broke down three more times. He dropped our car. His truck broke down one time. There was smoking all over the place. And I kid you not, the Lord was touching my heart saying, here's your opportunity. Witness to this man. And I did. I gave it all I had for three hours. <laughs> you say, did he get saved? Nope. Does that matter? I mean, it matters. But is that my job? No, my job was to take the opportunity. God will put people in your path. Are you taking opportunities? Are you making opportunities? But there's opportunity thieves out here. And real quick, I want to tell you about this. Because listen, Satan does not want you or this church to move forward with the Great Commission. And he's going to send opportunities, our thieves, our way. And I can't tell you how many people have come by me and I've told them about what God's done and the work he's done in our lives and on our journey to Idabel. And they say, well, brother, good luck. And when God's done some amazing things that he's provided and they say, wow, you're so lucky. And I just don't know how to handle that. I mean, smoke comes out my ears. I'm like, what? God has done this. This isn't fortune. This isn't a game. This isn't a roll of the dice. God has blessed us. And we're not blessed by our own goodness. We're blessed by God. And some will say, well, thank goodness. Thank goodness, like man's goodness, my goodness. And you say, well, you're picking on words. Okay, that's just what I tell my family. Listen, words mean things. Let's take opportunity to thank God and to glorify him and set his name apart in the eyes of the people. Because if you're not careful, they'll try to steal it from you and they'll say it's coincidence or fate or karma when karma is really reaping what you sow. It's a biblical principle. Been out in the woods or on the lake and people say, look at Mother Nature. What? No, this is God's doing. And take the opportunity to tell them about it. This young lady came in my office one time at work and she had a kill. Somebody killed some of her family in a, like a home invasion or some type of shooting. And she came and sat in my office and said, could God do this? Have you ever had those questions? How could God kill innocent people? And I've learned to love that question. Guess what I did? Well, I can't speak about this at work. Is that what I said? No. I started a Genesis. I said, well, let me tell you what happened. In the Garden of Eden, God had made the world a wonderful place. It was perfect. It was, he wanted perfect fellowship between he and his creation. And listen, sin was not a part of his plan. Death was not a part of his plan until man sinned in the garden. I mean, I wasn't yelling at her. I don't know. I may have. But listen, listen, sin's not a part of that or God's not a part of that. 
Man did that. And sin is death and death passed upon all men. And now when we're born, we're born and then we die. We die and there's evil people that shoot people and there's things like cancer. And when I get into that, most people that hear that, they're thinking and they're going, whoa. And they all have say this, wow, sin's bad. And I go, yes, you got it. Don't do it. But I've taken the opportunity. Are you getting it? There's opportunity all around. Are you taking the opportunity to teach people? Are you making the opportunities to teach people? Do you have something to teach? And in conclusion, do we have anything to help us remember? Do we have anything to help us to remember? In conclusion, you can walk into a sports stadium, pick one, football, baseball, anything. And many times before you even get in there, you know what you'll see? Statues. Stone or iron, metal. You'll see trophies. You'll see championships that are on display if they have them. You'll see statistics and they, they have all the stats documenting everything that somebody's achieved. And we could say the same thing about things like museums that are all documenting memories and events that have taken place over years that somebody wants to perpetuate, that somebody wants you to walk in and read it and remember what went on there. You could wa run or walk around or drive around our city and you could see memorials. You could see statues and things and they'll have a, a placard or something on stone generally or, or iron that will tell you what took place there or what they want you to remember. Have you seen that? You understand what I'm saying? But isn't it strange that we hear stories wrong now about boatloads of bread? Did you hear that story? We hear story about God providing planes for the aviation ministry. When, when we would underestimate God is what Brother Gaddis said. And I'm the same way. I looked at all that God had to do in my life and I go, whoa, I underestimated God. God provides planes. And, and then you have the story of Brother Gaddis's truck purchase, which you would think God was, had forgot. You'd think that the delay there was, and if you're not careful, Satan would have whispered, God's not there. He's forgotten you. God's not at work here. And then a man gets saved. We just say amen and we move right on with our lives. Is that right? In six months, when somebody joins this church, will they remember that? I mean, not unless we document it. Not unless they're walking around and go, wait a minute, that ain't normal. What happened here? What mean ye by these stones? And then somebody says, well, let me tell you, about a place called Hope Children's Home. And they walk over here and they go, oh, let me tell you about the aviation ministry. Otherwise, how are they going to know? It's an opportunity to teach them about how good God was then and how good He will be now in the future. Because listen, aren't there going to be times in our lives where we come across the river that we can't cross. And in the future, the children of Israel are going to come up against a great walled city. And don't you think it would be helpful to remember what God has done and what he can do? 
You're going to need that reminder. Listen, when I get to Idabel in the far southeast corner of the state out in the sticks with a bunch of rednecks, you think I'm not going to get discouraged? Come on. There's no friends, no family, way further away from family. You don't think Satan's going to come up and try to whisper in my ear? Ain't nothing going to happen here. But if I documented what God's done, or I have something where I go, no, 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 no. Let me remind you, Satan, what God's done and what he's going to do. And then I get to teach them what God has done. Research, that same bit of research that I started with, has found that approximately 56% of the information is forgotten within an hour. So whatever you heard, 56%. 66% is lost after a day. 75% of it's lost after six days. And I told you, the things we forget far outweigh the things we remember because our brain's primary function is to forget. So here's what I want you to get in closing. What are we doing to help remember what God has done in our lives, each and every life here, in order to teach them? What are you doing to help remember as a memorial? To remember so you don't forget, so that you can teach them and move forward with the Great Commission. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Every head bowed and eyes closed. You may stand. And we're going to have an invitation here where if the Lord has worked in your heart, if the Lord God has spoken like He said He would, Now's the time to do business with him. What are you doing? What is your part? What are you teaching? Are you taking opportunities? Are you making opportunities to teach them? Every head bowed and every eye closed.